Hey everybody, welcome to the Active Churches Podcast. We hope you are inspired by today's message from one of our teaching pastors here at Active Churches. We are online and we are also in person, so we'd love to have you gather with us 9 a.m. and 1045 here at our Yukaipa location or online on YouTube or Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into our message. Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to Active Churches at Home. My name is Joe, I'm on the team here, and if this is your first time watching, I hope it is not your last time watching with us today. Hey, have you ever been in a losing season? I mean, like really, like a losing season where maybe things just aren't always going right. Maybe you're an Angels fan and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or maybe you're a Dallas Cowboys fan like myself. We know what losing seasons feel like. You know what's worse than a losing season? Is being in a winning season and then going into a losing season. I grew up playing football. I played five years of Pop Warner and I absolutely loved it. Those are some of my fondest memories as a kid because what I remember as a kid is I remember those, that, those camaraderie moments that we'd have, those moments of huddle. I also remember that we were a part of an undefeated championship team. Yep, y'all heard it. Coming from Chino, Pop Warner, we were undefeated championship teams and we loved our time on the field, being elementary kids, being middle school kids, and we grew together as a team for every single year. Some new guys would come on the team, but we were learning to grow and become better at our sport, at our craft, and in our love for the game. But one of the things I loved most was our team chants. Our coach would get us together, and maybe if you know sports, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Our coach would get us in, and they would say, who are we? And all of us would respond, champions. Who are we? Champions. Who are we? Champions. Because they wanted us to believe, before we even stepped onto the field, that we were champions. Win or lose, we were champions. And what we found out is that really translated into everything that we did. When we went onto the field, we acted like champions. We believed we were champions, and we did everything we can to be champions, which we eventually were. But isn't it crazy that these team chants have a way of affecting and changing our mental state and our mind. I even think about this show, Friday Night Lights. Maybe you've heard about it. Um, Friday Night Lights is about a, a small town and their football team. And what this football team does is they bring so much hope to the town because they're entertainment, but they're fun, but they have a heart for the game. These high school players have a heart for the game. And what I love is that they have a coach, and the coach Taylor always shares inspirational words, powerful things that help them get ready for the game. But they too have a team chant that I want to teach you. And that team chant goes like this. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Come on, say it with me. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Clear eyes, I'm concentrated on the task at hand. I'm focused on what is in front of me and not behind me. Coach Taylor knew that these were not just players, they were people. And so when they got in the field, they had to put everything into the game because the things that were happening at home, the things that were happening in their life, that can all cloud their vision. Clear eyes, we're focused on what's in front of us. Full hearts, we're in love with the game. We believe in the game. We're excited for what's happening right in front of, front of us. We believe in the people around us and our hearts are so full of passion and excitement for the fact that we get to play football. And if you have clear eyes and you have full hearts, Coach Taylor really believed you can't lose. So say it with me one more time. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. My hope is by the end of our time that we have together that you believe that. 
about yourself, about your life, about where you're going. Because little did I know is that when I got to high school, I jumped into high school football and I would jump into one of the biggest losing seasons of my life. And I mean it, like on the, in the sports scene, we were, uh, I went from an undefeated team to being a team that was one and nine, two and eight, meaning one win, nine losses, two wins, eight losses. And to go from this, this, this hill of being so excited about football and excited about the game to being in this valley of defeat really changed my perspective. And I'd even say excitement. And, and here's the crazy part. We had team chance. Like we said, like, who are we champions? But isn't it true that living out what you believe is much more terrifying than saying it? And so we'd have these chants, we'd say these things, but the truth is we didn't believe it. We didn't have clear eyes, full hearts. Before we even stepped on the field, we already had lost the game. And because we got to the point where we didn't believe that we can win anymore. I mean, being, being really honest, our concentrated and collected and calm bus rides turned into party times as the season went on because we no longer believed that we could win. We no longer believed that we could be anything outside of what we were bringing onto the field. We didn't believe in ourselves. And it's because everybody was playing for the name that was on their back rather than the team that was on the front of their jersey. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been in a losing season, and as you've been in this losing season, maybe it wasn't sports, but maybe it was in your life. You feel like every decision you're making is not the best decision, and so you're not always sure of what to do. You're not always sure if the decision you're making is the right decision, and so it constantly feels like everything you decide to do is the wrong decision. Maybe you've been there in your relationships. Maybe you've been there with your decisions that you've been making about the future of your life. Maybe right, even right now you feel like you're in a losing season as you're battling a new anxiety or a new understanding of mental health. And maybe it's even hard for you to get up in the morning. Losing seasons have a way of impacting our sight of what is possible today and possible tomorrow. And maybe, just maybe, you've even lost your ability to see and experience God. Let's just be real for a moment. Maybe you've been doing church for a while and you've been following God for a while and you know all the Christian cliches and you know all the platitudes and you know that you need to have faith and you need to pray more and you, you know in those moments where you're losing you just feel like you're in the valley, you know God is present and you know all these things in your mind but if we're real with each other and if we're real with God, all those things don't always make us feel like our losing season is going to come to an end. And maybe you're an unchurched person today, or you're trying to figure out God and trying to navigate faith, and somebody shared this, and you're jumping on with us today. You look at the world, and you look at poverty, and you look at the problem of evil, and you look at people who are in places mentally and physically that aren't the best, and you think to yourself, God, if you're real, why is all of this happening? If you're real, why am I feeling this way? If I can really see you, I, I, I don't know what you're trying to do because this doesn't seem like the God I know. We've been in a series called Irresistible. And as we've been walking through this series, we've been following this ancient writer. His name was John. And John was following this rabbi named Jesus as he went and he shared about this message of hope and love that nobody was sharing before. He was sharing not just about a life beyond life. He was sharing about a life that was beyond belief 
here and now. And as we follow John, who is following this rabbi, this rabbi named Jesus began to share these powerful words that would rearrange people's reality and reconstruct their understanding of the world. And that's where I want to begin today in John chapter 10, verse 10. But before I read this, I do want you to know that me reading this verse is not going to be an end-all be-all. We're going somewhere with this passage today. So let's check it out. When we're in losing seasons, while we're in the middle of these moments where we don't know what to do. This is what Jesus speaks through the words of John. It says, John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now this is the hope of God for you to have life and life to the full. This is the reason that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again, is for us to experience life, but not just life beyond life, but life beyond belief here and now to the fullest. To better explain this, really let's think about what the opposite of a full life is. It's a fragile life. It's like walking on eggshells through life. I've never actually walked on eggshells. I don't imagine many people have walked on eggshells, but I have dropped eggshells before. I'm really good at dropping things and they're fragile. They're soft. They're not gonna survive anything. They're gonna be broken so easily. And this is what Jesus is saying in this moment, is that your life and my life are not meant to be walked as if it's fragile. We are meant to experience the fullness of life. Jesus has come to expand our capacity to live. Christians and people who follow Jesus are meant to be the most free people on the planet, experiencing all that life has to offer. But if we're real, the misconception is that Christians live fragile and soft and gentle lives where we're constantly worried. Are we doing the right thing? Are we saying the right thing? Are we acting the right way? Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're not a Christian today and you're like, yep, that's what I think about Christians and you're with me right now. That's what I used to think, that Christians were just constantly walking on eggshells, but Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not it. You are meant to live life to the full, to the fullest capacity, to the fullest ex extent, be able to experience loss but not lose, experience life. And Jesus says this powerful phrase, not just for Instagram, not just as a TED talk, not just to put it out in the world. No, he, he always speaks with a purpose. He doesn't give unsolicited advice, in other words. Jesus has a purpose, and his purpose in saying this, and the people he says this to, may be even more important than what he just says. We often forget is that Jesus was talking to a crowd of people who were also walking through problems and situations, and and maybe we're even in losing seasons. And so if Jesus is telling these people to live life to the fullest, and that he has come to give life to the fullest, we can assume that these people probably were living half lives, half empty hearts, and experiencing a lesser version of the life that was intended. And the scary part is, they probably didn't even know. Jesus was speaking to a group at this time called the Pharisees. 
and the Pharisees were the religious elite. Their primary role would be to establish and develop and build environments to help people see God, help and establish and, and develop systems where people can see God, even in those moments where they're not necessarily feeling it, to point out where God's working so people can tangibly know that God was up to something in their world. And so along the way, they created these systems and processes through the oral tradition. And through this oral tradition, people would know that God was with them at all times through the things that they did. But along the way, they fell into a losing season. And the system that was built for the people to see God eventually started working against the people. And rather than the system being for the people, it began to be for the sake of the process. The tail was wagging the dog. And there's another way of putting it. The system that had been established was actually halting people from experiencing what God had intended for them and was even halting the Pharisees from seeing the God that was right in front of them. They, they no longer believed that God could work outside the system they had established. While they had the knowledge that God was working, while they had the theology, while they had the study time, while they knew the ins and outs of the system and who God was, the God of the universe, they no longer believed that God could actually do something outside of the system that they had established. And it's actually really tragic. And it's something for us to consider along the way as a church, not just active church, but as a church as a whole. Is it possible for us to cut ourselves off from seeing God? Is it possible for us to stop seeing that God is up to something because of the systems that we have established in our heart and our mind and around us? And this reality was so prevalent and so deep that people didn't even know what to expect from God anymore. And maybe that's you today. You've been in a losing season and you're tired and you don't even know what to expect from God. You know he's good, you know he's loving, you know what you've been taught, but where's he at? In my losing season, is he present, is he with me? Because it just doesn't feel like it sometimes because of the systems that you have set in your heart. And you just wanna know, can I believe in God again? Can I follow after God again? Can I pursue the plans he has for my life again? So Jesus shares these words to live life to the fullest to these Pharisees who are probably living half-lives and are perpetuating a half-baked system. But if you'll flip back with me to chapter 9, and that's where our incident really begins. And it begins with a man that maybe you're familiar with, but you didn't even know that you were familiar with. It's a man that we sing about, a man that we tell stories about. It's a man that hymns have been written about. Begin, begin with me in verse 1 of chapter 9. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. In just a few verses, we're going to learn that this blind man was actually a beggar. And in the ancient day, it would be a no duh, this guy's a beggar. He's been blind from birth. There's no health care. There's no governmental assistance. This man had to rely on the mercy and compassion of people around him. So this man, his entire life has only known being blind from birth to now, from childhood to now. And Jesus sees this man and he sees his life, and he sees his situation. Verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And this kind of seems like an archaic question. Like, why are you trying to figure out who sinned? Like, really think about it. Like, wh why would they be asking this question? But what this question actually does is it peers into the mind and the heart of people at the time. It was a well-known belief that if you messed up or you fell short of the plan that God had for your life, a.k.a. you sinned, 
you were gonna be affected or the people around you were gonna be affected. For instance, if I'm a mom and I walk into a pagan temple and I have a baby that's coming, that baby is now cursed. That baby is now gonna be sinful. There's something gonna be wrong with that baby. And so the disciples believe this at this time. And, and while we may just wanna gloss over this question, while we may just wanna pass by it really quickly, I think what this question does is reveal to us something about us that maybe we don't consider. Isn't it true in losing seasons, we are always trying to figure out what the next best thing is? Isn't it true in losing seasons, whether we're in a losing season or others in a losing season, we're always trying to understand why this season is taking place. These disciples were trying to just ask an honest question. Who sinned, this man or his parents? It's an honest question because we want to know because if we believe that if we can understand what is going on, we can avoid a losing season. But I love what Jesus says. He gives a brand new paradigm that blows people's mind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of this world. Translated, neither have sinned, but God can use it. Neither have sinned, but Jesus says he can show it as a sign. He can use it as a sign to show you that God is still in it. God can display his power on the platform of our pain and our suffering. Now, does he want us to suffer? By no means. But can he use those moments that we're in pain? Absolutely. Can he use those moments that we're not feeling the best? Absolutely. Can he use the losing seasons? Absolutely. How do I know this? Because you and I both value stories of redemption. We value those stories where people actually tell better stories, where they go from these moments of uncertainty and brokenness and lostness, and they find orientation in their life again. We value these stories where people feel like they don't know if they can keep going, but God stepped in. And these stories have powerful ways of inspiring us and tr moving us to trust in God to greater levels and greater extents. But I do feel like I have to say to you today that you are more than an illustration that God wants to do, to do his greatest work on. You're more than an illustration that he wants to show, you, show the world his power. You see, he cares and values the pain that you are walking through. You are more than an illustration to him. And I'm not saying that because we're not supposed to just hand it over to God. No, I, I'm saying this because I don't want you to think that God wants you to cover everything that you're walking through with Christianese and faith alone. He cares about your pain. And if you're hurting, he's saying hand it over and, and let's walk through this together. Verse 6, after saying this, he spit on the ground and he made some mud with saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. Let's just get it out of the way. We're all thinking it. Gross. <laughs> Lots of questions, Jesus. Um, like, was there no other way? Like, did you ask, Jesus? Like, is this really COVID friendly, Jesus? Verse 7, go, he told them. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. The man went and he washed and he came home seeing. 
Now let's go to this moment. Let's not, let's not bypass this. This is a miraculous moment where Jesus steps in and gives this man life. Let's get to this. Let, let's, let's live in this for just a quick second. At this point, this man had only heard rumors about who Jesus was and what he was planning on doing and, and the story that Jesus wanted to share and give into people's lives. We, he had only heard rumors about this at this point. And now this man named Jesus doesn't even know if it truly is Jesus is talking to him and he puts mud in his eyes. And as he's sitting there, he's told to go while he's still blind. He is told to go, to go and to wash. And so can you imagine what this man was feeling like in that moment? Like, is this really going to work? Who is this guy that's really talking to me? Do I really trust what he said? And can you imagine that feeling he had? As Jesus walked away and he's sitting there with mud in his eyes thinking, now I got to go wash while I'm still blind. Now I got to find a way to the pool of Siloam. Can you imagine the fear he was feeling? I really hope this guy's right. I hope it's not just somebody else pulling my leg. I hope it's not just another magic trick that people are trying to scam me with. I really hope I can see again. Can you imagine that first movement? of him deciding to get up or crawl his way or stumble his way through the streets. Can you imagine that feeling of him finally getting to the pool of Siloam because somebody brought him there or dragged him there or helped him find his way there? Can you imagine that moment where he puts his hands in the pool of water, feeling the cold rush through his fingers and he touches his face and as he touches his face, he drags his fingers down and he feels the cold water running down his neck. And he begins to open up his eyes, and for the very first time, he sees color and lights. He sees shapes, and he sees again. This man wasn't moved by faith. This man was moved by hope. Hope is what fills our hearts. Hope is what makes us move forward, even when things are scary and uncertain. Hope is what catapults us in losing season. And when I talk about hope, I, I, I do want to clear up. I'm not talking about wishful thinking. Wishful thinking is, man, I really hope I got a puppy for Christmas. No, Jesus isn't saying hope. This man isn't having wishful thoughts. No, this man is having thoughtful actions. Hope is thoughtful moving saying that I don't know what's on the other side of this mountain, but I'm gonna move in the best direction. I don't know what to expect, but I know that the best plan that God has for me, the best plan for my life, is me taking one more step forward. Hopeful moving is what God calls this man to. Not just faith, not just belief, but begin to move. That's why hope is so powerful. It's because hope can reignite and restart a heart. It can make you move into a life that you never expected, even when there's a mountain in front of your way. But that's also why hopelessness is so dangerous. It's because without a destination, our losing seasons can feel like they're going to go on forever. Do you remember what hope feels like? Do you remember that moment where you first gave your life to Jesus and you felt like you can do anything? Do you remember that moment where you felt like God was with you for the very first time? Have you ever experienced hope in your life? 
And I know in losing seasons, we have a way of losing our hope. And we have a way of losing our hearts. But hope is the very thing that sets a fire in us and in Him to create a future that doesn't exist. And hope gives us the tenacity to move towards it. Hope makes hearts full. We're going to keep going with the story because we can't forget our friends, the Pharisees. So this man comes home and his neighbors are blown away. They're asking questions. What happened? Who healed you? You can see. I've known you since a child and now you can see again. His neighbors are in disbelief, naturally. So he replied, in verse 11, he replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes. And he told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went and I washed and then I could see. Where's this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. I love how matter-of-fact he is. He also doesn't mention the spit. Notice that. He said, this is what I've experienced. Jesus said to go do this. This man named Jesus, who I really don't know much about, told me to go do this, so I did it. And here I am, and I can see. And so, because they were in disbelief, they went and they got the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were meant to validate the works of God. They were meant to say that this man really is healed. This man really can see. It was obvious, but they had to go through the religious practice. They had to go through the system that had been established. So they brought the Pharisees, verse 13, they brought the Pharisees to the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Ooh, Sabbath was meant to be a soul-filling day. It was a part of that system that we were talking about that had been established. See, at that time, there was no such thing as the weekend. And so, to set themselves apart, the Jewish people had something called the Sabbath. It was supposed to be a day of worship and a day of rest, where they stopped everything and they focused their heart and attention on God. And it's really thoughtful. Jesus, multiple times throughout John and throughout other Gospels, says, Sabbath was not, or man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man, to help set them apart, to help remind them that God valued rest and, and, and valued those soul-filling moments. But the system that Jesus was now within was shattered because Sabbath was also not supposed to be a day of work. And by Jesus healing this man and making mud, he was in direct violation of the Sabbath law. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. And check this out. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can this sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. There's this wrestling going on. There's this good thing that just happened. This man who was born, from, who was born blind can now see. This man who did not have sight now has the ability to see colors and lights. And he has the ex ability to experience the fullness, capacity of life that, could ever, that he could never hope of, dream of, or imagine. But some people are like, he's a sinner. He didn't do it the right way. He didn't follow the system. He didn't follow the law. He didn't follow the way that we are meant to go about things. That's not how God works, but there's tension in some of their hearts. But this doesn't make sense. There's a man who can see, and he wasn't able to see before. Losing seasons have a way of, of dividing us and making us grasp for any answer that we have and any answer there is, but it also has a way for us to turn to our systems for answers. And sometimes our systems are not the most clear. Sometimes the systems that are in our heart and in our mind about God and life 
they aren't the most helpful because we've established them. We've set the boundaries for what these systems do and how these systems operate. And when we are always setting the boundaries of our life, we are not allowing God to be God. We are becoming our own gods. Next verse, verse 17. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he's a prophet. And so what they do in this moment, because they don't know what to do, they don't know what to trust, is they call the parents. And whenever they call parents, you know, I, I always kind of get a little cringy because I think about like, you know, hey, I'm going to call your mom. It still stresses me out to this day. So they call his parents and his parents haven't seen him. His parents carried the shame of feeling like it was their fault their son was born blind. And they see their son for the very first time and they can see. And they ask him, is, is this your son? And they're like, yeah, but, but he can see now. So this is the guy. Yeah, but, but we don't know what happened. And because they were so afraid of the Pharisees and because they were so afraid because they had known that Jesus, this rabbi, was already somebody who had a target on their head and they didn't want to get kicked out of the temple themselves. They stayed silent and they said, why don't you ask him what happened? A second time, they summoned the man who, was, who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Do you not get it? I can now see. Is your heart so blind? I can now see. Are your eyes not clear? I can now see. I don't know everything that's happened, but all I know is I can see again. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And finally, he has enough. He's fed up. He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? That's some of that big boy energy right there. Do you want to become one of his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are the disciples of Moses and we know that God spoke to Moses. But as far as this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. We're different than you. You're messing things up. Stop rocking the boat. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to a godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of the opening of an eyes of, the man, of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Do you not see it? To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They threw this man out because what he had experienced, what he had seen, and what he had learned, and what he was now living was not in the box they had created for God. We all have a box of beliefs, whether that's about life, relationships, and even God. And today you're watching with this box of beliefs about God, and you may not even be aware of what those beliefs are. You came in with an expectation today about who God is, what God can do, and, and in the same way, the Pharisees also had, had that same kind of box of beliefs. Um, it's actually called cognitive bias, and we all have it, we all do it. It's one way our brain um, processes information and helps us move information, organize information, and store information for long-term memory. It's also a way to keep us safe so we can make decisions really fast, but if we're honest, our cognitive biases can sometimes 
only allow us to process the information that we want to process. And it's not a bad thing, but it can distort our perception of the situation. Sometimes we set systems in our mind that can create spaces that are blind. Whether you've been doing this for a while or whether you're new to the thought of God, you probably came with an expectation of who He is, what He can do. You've set standards for what to expect from God, good and bad, and what not to expect from God, like maybe love or worth or forgiveness. And it's because of the systems that you've set in your mind, you're unable to see that God may be working outside of the systems that you've set. He may be working outside of the thoughts and processes that you have solidified. He may be working outside of those ideas that you have put in your heart about your self-worth. You may have this box of beliefs that says anybody who does anything wrong is undeserving of God's love. You may be working out of a system where you have to earn love, you have to earn forgiveness, you have to earn acceptance, and this box is just transferred over to God. You may be working out of a system situation where you can't even imagine a good God loving you or wanting you to experience the fullness of life. To you, I, I have really good news, but this news is also really terrifying. God is bigger than your box. He's bigger than the lies you've told yourself. He's bigger than the beliefs you've put upon your brain. He's bigger than the systems that you've set in your heart. And he's bigger than the thoughts you have about grace and love and forgiveness. He's bigger. He's bigger than the questions that you've kept from him. He's bigger than the reasons that you run from him. He's bigger than the thoughts people have told you about him. God is bigger than your box. He is bigger than your thoughts. And he may be even bigger for some of us than we were taught. Which means we don't have to know it all or understand it all for God to work. For God to work, he doesn't have to fit into our box of beliefs. He doesn't have to fit into our system of understanding. And if you're like me, maybe you feel like you have to know more about God in order for God to work in your life, or you have to have more faith. That's not how God works. God never wants to keep you where you're at. He wants to help you take that next step towards the better story, towards the better life. And my wife, I, I love her, but she's uh, a very much a critical thinker. If it's not right in front of her, then it doesn't exist. She went on a two-day binge trying to understand our, uh, our luggage system at our airports because she can't imagine people having so much luggage and getting all to the same place. And so she went and she learned all she can about it. But at some point I had to say, babe, regardless, your luggage is gonna show up, hopefully on time, but it's gonna show up whether you understand it or not. God doesn't need our understanding to work. God doesn't need to fit into our box for, for him to show up. We don't need to understand everything for God to do what God does best. Do you understand love? Do you understand human connection? But we still step into it. And that's the call of God. That's the challenge of God. Even though we may not understand it all, take one more step as he told the blind man and go. I went to Bible college and I went to seminary and, and what I've learned is the more I know about God, the more he shatters my box of understanding about myself, my understanding about the world, my understanding about even him. And the more I learn, the more I study the ins and outs of the Bible, the more I study the ins and outs of who God is in this world, 
The more he teaches me, I have so much to learn, and I will never learn it all. But God is with me, even though I do not always know, even though I have questions, even though I may have doubts, even though I may feel like I'm in a losing season, he is outside of my systems, and he is always moving us towards a better story. So what if God wants to do something in your life that you never thought of? What if God wants to do something in your life that you were never taught of? And what if God wants to do something through those you never expected? And what if he already is? Would you see it? Today, our challenge is to go. As this blind man who only knew the rumors of Jesus um, was invited to just take one more step. And today, you may be a new uh, person when it comes to God or faith or the idea of Jesus. Take one more step in trying to understand who he is. Take one more step in trying to figure out if this God thing can actually be real. And what I know about God is he always meets us where we're at. And it may be one step outside of your box, but it also may be one more step towards loving better. It may be just one more step in trying to get involved in the church community. It may be one more step of letting go the things that have held you back from the future that God has for your life. Just take one more step and see what he can do as we move towards clear eyes. Clear eyes. Looking beyond my circumstances to the stories that God can tell. Clear eyes, not finding my validation from others, but finding my validation from the God who is above. Clear eyes, not looking outside for the love that comes from the one that is above. Clear eyes, not letting my current moment steal my joy. Clear eyes, don't let today take from you the future that is possible tomorrow. Clear eyes, there's more in front of you than behind you. Clear eyes, don't let temporary failures steal from you the knowledge that you have kept in your heart that God is with you now and forever. Clear eyes. When you choose to set your eyes on Jesus, when you say, Jesus, you are the one that is leading my capacity to love and live, expanding the borders of my imagination. Clear eyes. Full hearts, letting you be my fire, God. Full hearts, believing that tomorrow needs me and that hope has set in my heart in such a way that I'm going to move beyond the mountains and the issues in front of me. Full hearts, ready for the journey ahead, bumps and bruises including. Full hearts, hope-filled, driven with conviction to learn and grow and see what life has to teach me. Clear eyes, full hearts. You can't lose. I can't lose when I'm pursuing after the things that God has for my life. Now, I may experience loss, but I can't lose. I may walk through doubt, but I can't lose. I may feel hurt, but I can't lose. And if I, if I bend, oh, I'm telling you, I will not break. I can't lose. And if I do break, I'm not staying down because the God who died and rose again, that same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in me. I can't lose when I have my heart fixed on the things of God, when I have hope in my soul, when I see that God is doing something and I get to be a part of that even in my seasons of loss. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. This God who we talk about, this infinite God is infinitely interested in you. He wants to know you, your stories, your bumps, your bruises, and losing seasons. God may be working outside of your box. It just takes clear eyes, full hearts, to see that God is going to always tell you, with me, 
you can't lose. Say it with me, church. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the lives that you've given us, God. But we also thank you for giving us life beyond our imagination here and now. A life that is helping us take one more step into the biggest life that we can ever, that we can even hope of dream or imagine. God, we pray for clear eyes as we look for you in all things, God. We pray for full hearts as we relentlessly pursue the things you have put in our life, God, even in losing seasons. And God, we pray for reminders that we can't lose when we're pursuing after the things of you. And we all lift this up in your son's holy name and all God's people said, amen. Buried 
Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you were inspired. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. Hey, I want to ask you to do two things. First thing, hit that subscribe button to stay connected to the Active Churches podcast. The second thing I want to invite you to do is go onto your social media accounts, Instagram and Facebook, and go to Active Churches. Stay connected to the community because together we can tell a better story.